Welcome to the Cleansing Word Podcast with Pastor John of Calvary Chapel, Lake Villa. Join us as we go through the Bible as we encourage your walk with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to know more about Calvary Chapel, Lake Villa, visit us at cclv.org. And please share and subscribe to this podcast. Now let's hear a message from God's Word. So next Sunday, we'll get back into, and I've been doing for two years, the chronological journey through the Gospels, and we are almost coming toward the end, which means we have a lot more to go, because we're looking at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we're trying to mesh them together as they would somewhat lay out, if you'd put it in a chronological order, and we're coming to that final week of Christ. He's not quite there in Jerusalem yet, but When we left off in November, the Lord was getting close, but this is where a lot of John's gospel kicks in. So that's why I said we have a bit ahead of us, because we haven't even made it to John chapter 11 yet in our chronological journey, and Matthew, Mark, and Luke will kind of mesh together, and so we'll pick from them which text we'll teach from, but we'll get back into that, and then Wednesdays will begin. We finished off Uh, the book of Deuteronomy, so we're going to pick up in Judges, and usually picking up two chapters every Wednesday as we go through and journey through the Old Testament. So that's coming up. So I wanted to close out the year, hopefully just encouraging you, uh, speaking a little bit about moments that really helped to transform my life. And I titled this initially defining moments of my life. It had a longer title than that before, and then I finally got down to just defining moments. So confusing was that title that Pastor Kevin called me and said, what are you teaching on? (laughs) Defining moments of my life. And not talking about when I got saved at seven years old and came to faith in Jesus Christ, or when Lily and I got married when we were of that great old age of 18, setting all of that aside, those are two great defining moments of my life. I was really thinking about moments that helped to transform me as a young adult, especially in my late teens, but really in my 20-somethings. There's a lot that took place, and a lot of what I'm sharing with you happened um, in my 20s up to about 32 to 34 years old. I actually don't go into... Uh, Lily and I and the family, our kids, moving out to California when Lily and I were both 32. I don't even go into that. I picked five key points. I wanted to keep it somewhat short. Every point has two sub-points except for one. It has three, and that's probably the shortest of all of them, uh, that one point, point four. But I wanted to keep it simple. I wanted to keep it short. But these were defining moments for me that happened in my life that helped kind of form me into the person I am today. I hope that it will help you in your own faith journey, but also maybe help you understand. It's like, why does Pastor John do things like that? Well, you're going to find a little bit of the why behind these things today. And we begin with the first point, a searching and servant's heart. And I wrote in here prayer benches and Sunday school. So the searching side of my life, this was in my early 20s. Lily and I have been married 
uh, probably for a few years. And uh, a lot of this took place. My dad resigned from pastoring the church over in Zion when I was 23 years old. So everything I'm telling you happened between the ages of probably 18 to 23 in this first point, for sure. And uh, my dad, when they built the church, they used to rent a schoolhouse when he began pastoring at Mount Carmel Baptist Church in Wadsworth, Illinois. And Wadsworth said to my dad one year at the end of the year, we're going to take over this building and make it our town hall, which they have done. And so basically said, you need to find another place for your church. They've been there for years. And one day on the way home from church, we were driving by a piece of property that had five acres. And I said to my dad, I said, why don't you guys buy that and build a church there? And that began the search for a piece of property, not that property, but down the road a bit. Um, and by the time I was 15 years old, uh, there was a new church building over in Zion where my dad pastored for 12 and a half years. And so at the age of 23, uh, he resigned from the fellowship. Our country had went through a, a pretty, I don't know if the country went through so much of a bad time, but this area did because uh, it was probably the beginning of the businesses realizing that they can get cheaper labor down south, which some of the factories closed and moved to like Tennessee and Kentucky and these area and uh, others went overseas. And so they could get cheaper labor overseas. That was probably the beginning of a lot of this, looking for cheaper labor, maybe in our country or maybe in other countries. But it really depressed this area a bit when we had two major factories um, closed during that time, Goodyear that had been based in this area went down to Tennessee. I know that they moved to Tennessee. That lost several church members from my dad's church. And uh, OMC, the uh, Johnson Outboard Motors, also closed during that time. And we lost because of economy, people relocating to other states and never really recovered from that. So the heart of my dad at that time resigning was, his heart was perhaps a younger man could do a better job. Now, take in consideration that if I was 23, um, that would mean that he was um, fairly young at the time. He was 40. No, that's not right. That's me and my son. We're 20 years apart from each other. But he was a young man at that time. He was probably around 50 years old. So I don't think that's too old. You guys might think that who are younger. But when you're in your 60s, you think 50 is not too bad. So when they built the church, they made a mistake, and they put prayer benches in instead of the front pews. They didn't order them, but when they assembled the pews into the new church building, there were prayer benches. At first, my dad was upset about it, and then he said this was the best mistake that ever happened. We became very accustomed to using the prayer benches, during the, especially during closing. And if you know anything about Baptist churches, they like to give long invitations. So you have plenty of time to come down and pray and kneel and uh, talk with the Lord. And I found myself often at the prayer benches searching. And I was searching at that time. 
was kneeling and praying and wrestling with God, and I sought for the will of God for my life, for my family. And it was really a place of surrender for me, a place of calling and a place of growth, just kneeling at the prayer benches. And kneeling is, even though it's harder for me to kneel today, all I have to do is walk. And yesterday, Lily and I were out and about, and she walks fast. And anybody who walks with that, with her knows that. Um, but, and I never, never try to keep up with my wife, but my right knee doesn't even like to stay in stride with her anymore. And yesterday we're out walking. She's like, your knee's hurting you. It's like it always hurts. So kneeling is a little harder these days. But take it back to Daniel 6.10. When he knew that there was a writing, a directive from the king that said, for the next month, you can only pray to me and no one else, no other God. When Daniel knew of his writing and that it was signed, Daniel 6.10, he went home, he went to his upper room And to the windows, he opened them towards Jerusalem. He knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. Now, Daniel was an old man at this point, but he heard this decree from the king that the king was just being sucked into this thing by the other magistrates who were trying to get rid of Daniel. They knew Daniel's character. From a young man, from a teenager, he knelt and prayed three times a day. He may not have had a prayer bench to kneel and pray at, but it was his custom to pray. And in churches today, we have become accustomed to lights, camera, and action. A lot of times it's all about the show, and we have less and less of the declaration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We had a worship leader here for several years that retired and moved away from us. And before he came to our church, he was at another church where um, there was the youth pastor. He shared this with me. And so the youth pastor was going to preach for the pastor of the church. And so the youth pastor contacted Dave, our worship leader at the time, and uh, asked him, how much time do I have? So the preacher's got to preach, and the preacher's asking the worship leader, how much time do I have? And Dave wisely said, you got it backwards. You should be telling me how much time I have. The preaching of the Word of God is more important. And so as a result, we have there an absence of the altar call and calling brothers and sisters forward to um, wait upon the Lord maybe for those who are not yet brothers and sisters to come and to be saved, to take time to pray. For me, kneeling and praying at the prayer benches became a place of formation as a young man, a place of meeting with Christ, a place of surrender, a place of searching for his call for my life. And at that same period of time, dad started using Lily and I. We were a small church. Feel familiar to you? a small church. And my dad began to use Lily and I in the church, and we were there to serve. From the time that we were married, we attended church. When the church doors were open, if it was Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday evening, that was the three main services during the week, we were there. We didn't let anything kind of interrupt those times. We were there serving and being fed 
and part of the body of Christ. It's kind of, I grew up as a PK, and that's what you did, but it was healthy because it kept us exposed to the Word of God, hearing the declaration of the Word of God, but also God began using us. And for me, uh, I began, even though I was a youth, I began teaching uh, the teens in Sunday school, uh, Sunday evening Bible class, and that was for young adults, and most of the young adults in that class were older than Lily and I, but I became the teacher of that class. I filled in for my dad in the pulpit when he was on vacation. I even taught uh, adults as something we tried for the first time, but we thought about the adults who come to drop their kids off for vacation Bible school, and uh, we had a class for the adults while the kids were out doing their VBS stuff. There was young 22-year-old or 21-year-old Johnny uh, teaching the adults for Vacation Bible School, which really is amazing. I'm sure the older adults were thinking, kid, you have so much to learn. But Dad was somewhat grooming me, and he was grooming me for the ministry. I didn't know that at the time, but he was preparing me, and I'm glad that he made those preparations in my life. He gave me opportunity, and I almost always accepted the opportunity that he gave to me and began to walk in it and see what the Lord would do with it. In Psalm 145, verse 4, it tells us that this is how it should be. One generation should praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. So we should be, as older adults, trying to pass on our faith to the youth and younger adults, helping them in their walk with the Lord. And I would say that as we invest not only in this building and the grounds and the preparation. In 2018, this is the first time in my computer I could find this phrase that you've heard a bit since then, but in my heart to prepare this place for the next generation of worshipers. 2018 was the first time that I could find that in my computer, preparing the next generation of worshipers. And I was initially thinking about the property and the grounds, and we went through a bit of a remodeling, got parking lot refinished, new chairs, carpet in the sanctuary, and um, beefed up our radio station a bit and went through a number of things. But having a nice building is one thing, but preparing the hearts of the next generation, really challenging our their children, the preteens, the teens, the young adults, that they might grow in their faith to help them grow in their faith and come alongside them, that they could learn foundational principles of Scripture and, and kind of learn how to minister to others while sharing in the ministry with those who are a bit older than them, able to share with them. And this summer... Uh, June 23rd, when I fell and hit the tree out there on the property and broke my neck. It gave me two months to think about these things, two months of healing. And I'm so grateful. Dave said my, uh, I don't know how he worded it, greatest blessing of this year is that you weren't paralyzed and you didn't die. And it's like, I agree. <laughs> I'm glad, too, that none of those things hurt. Now, I felt more pain than I've ever felt in my life. But 
Not paralyzed, I didn't die. So those are good things. But I want us to pass on and just to have that mindset of passing on to future generation of worshipers, how they can learn to take a stand in this ever-changing world and having a searching and a servant's heart. You need that searching heart to ask the Lord, what do you want to do with me? How can I serve you? And you need a servant's heart that you begin to learn how to use gifts and talents that the Lord has given you that you might kind of find that gifting, that niche that the Lord has for you. So having a searching and servant's heart helps to shape your life as a follower of Christ. Now, the Lord gave to me a band of brothers. Literally, I was in music ministry for 10 years. And so at 17 years old, my cousin Ken and his wife, Lynn, began attending our church. They came to my dad's church because... The pastor of their fellowship, I don't even remember what happened at that church, but something bad happened there. And uh, they just kind of got tired of pastors letting them down. And, uh, well, my cousin knew that my dad was a good man, and uh, my dad would not let people down to his best ability he would do his best to be faithful to the word of the god word of god and to the church that the lord had given him and so that kind of brought my cousin ken and his wife lynn to our church and this is another thing we were a small church so there were not a lot of people our age in that fellowship sound familiar to you you look around and uh as i was thinking about this this band of brothers although Ken and Lynn and Lily and I began to hang out together and we began to do youth ministry together. Um, There was also that music. I was already playing bass at 13 years old and uh, my cousin was playing guitar and we began to play music together and he had a friend from another church named Rick and the three of us began playing. Initially, Lynn and Lily were part of the band as well. And then uh, we met a couple at my dad's church that we were doing a a night where we just had worship, invited other churches to come. And there was a young couple that came to sing and do a couple of songs. And we were introduced to what would be our future keyboard player and our lead singer for the group. And we would stay together for 10 years. And the band actually went longer than that. But I was part of it for 10 years. And looking back at that time, I see that the Lord gave me a band of brothers and one sister that we are of similar ages. And this age range went from uh, Lily and I, I don't think we were the youngest, but I know our drummer and his wife were 10 years older than us. So we had a span of about 10 to 12 years, um, but he gave us like-minded believers that came from different churches where we were able to come together to serve together and to grow in our faith together. We not only were concerned about the music we played, but we began taking courses uh, through Moody and uh, growing in our faith together because we suddenly realized the responsibility to share God's word with others. And it came to a point where in that sharing of God's word, that we knew knew that we needed to do a pretty good job in doing that. If we mess up playing a guitar, we didn't like to mess up at all, but if we mess up playing in music and songs, that's one thing. But if you mess up proclaiming the word of God, that has 
eternal consequences with it. So Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. And so sometimes in life, we have our peers, and in high school, Lily and I, in our graduating class, had about 600 students in the graduating class. We had a lot of peers, a lot of people that we knew, but there were really no one that we came alongside in the sense and finding that band of brothers, those whom um, we could grow together in Christ. At this same period, uh, our friends, John and Don Marquardt, were still friends to this day. We met them. John was a worship leader, and he would come and play um, the set in between our sets for us. And he was also a brick mason, so that fit for me. And we even worked together for a season. He served here as an assistant pastor for a while before he moved to California, but we met them during this period. And so we went outside of the church and God just kind of brought other people together. We were like-minded in the faith. We had a desire, a hunger to serve the Lord. And we encouraged one another during that time. So we were building one another up and not tearing them down. And that's a point that I just, especially for youth 20-somethings, even in our 30, 40, 50, make sure that the relationships we have, that we're building one another up. We're not being tore down. We're not being drawn away from Christ, but the relationships that we have, either we're going to lead or we're going to be led. And sometimes we can have those relationships with non-believers as long as we're strong enough to be in that relationship and they're not pulling us down, but we're lifting them up. We're drawing them closer to the Christ instead of them drawing us further away from Christ. So sometimes you might have to close off friendships, find uh, other believers that can help build you up, help sharpen you in your love for Christ, that your faith does not grow dull. And so during that time, I got pressed into... Not unwillingly, but it just kind of, you know, you're doing music, you're singing songs, you're uh, explaining the song, sometimes doing an introduction by words when you're sharing your music. And so we select the time allotted to us. If we had a concert where we could share Christ with others, sometimes you were in a situation like playing in a community event where you just come and you play your music and you share a little bit but maybe in a church setting or at a concert setting where you're able to take some time to share the Word of God, to have an altar call, it got to the point to where um, if there were going to be an extended sharing of the faith, I became the guy who was doing that. So I don't feel that I have a gift of evangelism, but not that I've been called to be an evangelist, but to do the work of evangelism, yes, And at times the Lord calls us to give those evangelical messages. So the Lord was growing me, preparing me. During this time, I not only um, was able to share and learn how to better share my faith, I had much learning to do. But there was one concert in the afternoon down in uh, Schaumburg in, in a park at a gazebo where our band was playing that I was sharing a song called Sunrise. And uh, 
the song was written about the second coming of Jesus Christ and really the preparation for people. And I uh, suddenly was filled with the Holy Spirit as I was sharing a song introduction with the audience that was there watching. And uh, I realized there was a point, I realized that God was guiding every word that was coming out of my mouth. It was as if I was taking a back seat to myself, my brain. Not that I was disconnected, but the Spirit was flowing through me in a way that I'd never experienced before. And the people um, responded to just the song introduction. Our next song is going to be Sunrise. Standing ovation. Had nothing to do with me. We didn't even play the song. It was all about what the Lord was speaking through me at that time. And I don't even remember what I said. I just know that it was in... um, connected with the coming of Jesus Christ and having prepared hearts for that. And that was something, to be raised Baptist, where Baptists taught the Spirit of God doesn't work that way anymore, to have the Holy Spirit come upon you. For a Baptist boy, that was quite shocking. It also took place at a Calvary Chapel. At the time, I really didn't know what a Calvary Chapel was, and I had no clue that I would ever become a Calvary Chapel pastor. But it helped in that. So finding a band of brothers, going out, Mark 6, verse 7 and 12, he called 12 to himself. He began to send them out two by two. He gave them power over unclean spirits. So they went out and they preached that people should repent. They went out two by two. God empowered them by by his spirit over unclean spirits of healing for them, but especially verse 12, preaching that people should repent. We should find people of common faith that we can grow in our faith, practice, improve upon our skills, especially in today's culture, finding brothers and sisters in which we can serve together to help us to grow in our ability in Christ to share with one another. And it can be evangelism in the form of being a Sunday school teacher, worship leader, sound, multimedia, many different areas in our church today and even outside of the church, but actively using and developing our gifts. It gives us an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to work in and through our lives and sometimes at unexpected moments. So having a band of brothers and sisters can help to strengthen our lives in ministry and evangelism. Third, God gave me during the same period a thirst for knowledge, that of the Bible and using other books as well. First, I want to begin with the Bible. In my early 20s, I decided, I think it was the influence of my cousin Ken, and so this is that band of brothers influence. I don't know if it was the whole band or what. I just remember this of my cousin Ken. When I read through the Bible, uh, the book of Ezekiel or the book of Isaiah was like the hardest book for me to read. So the first time I ever read through the Bible, I saved Isaiah till the last. And I read it and I thought, this is great. Why did I wait so long? I got bad counsel from my cousin. <laughs> I loved Isaiah. Apparently he didn't. But I did not love the King James Bible. And I grew up and I would say I cut my teeth 
on a Thompson chain reference Bible. And I, I have it at home still, and the cover uh, is coming off the thing. I used it. I actually like the notes that were in it more than the King James, Old King James language. The Old King James language was putting me to sleep. I couldn't read through the Bible because I was trying to sleep through the process, and it doesn't work when you're trying to read. So I went from the Thompson Chain Reference King James Bible to a living Bible, which is a paraphrase, where they try to take the meaning of the verse or passage and put it in modern language. And that helped me get through reading through the Bible in that year. I think it took longer than the year, but it helped me reading through the Bible for the first time. And I went from there to uh, International Version Bible, NIV, and uh, New International Version Bible. That's a dynamic equivalent. That means it's a thought-for-thought translation. It's not trying to get uh, what is called a literal translation, trying to get very close to the Hebrew and Greek that the Bible is translated from, but it's a thought-for-thought translation. And eventually I landed with the New King James that I use today, which is a literal translation, uh, trying to stay word-for-word, but... If you know anything about languages, when you try to translate from one language to another, they may say things differently or in a different order than we use. Or sometimes in the Hebrew and Greek, they don't use the um, nouns that we might use. They may not use uh, some of the filler words that we might throw in. That's why you find in your Bible, you'll see words in italics sometimes, and that simply means the translator has added that word to try to give us a better feel for the translation. But it got me a search of the Word of God. Using the other translations of the Bible were helpful for me for gaining a better understanding of God's Word. I got to a point to where Um, I realized that I had too many different translations in my mind, and I I couldn't memorize Scripture very well because I didn't know if I was actually quoting from the NIV or the King James or the New King James or the Living Bible. So I decided I'm only going to use one Bible. I'll study from it. I'll memorize from it. And I may use other translations. I'll always recognize them when I do, but I use a main teaching Bible now. And this is important. Uh, Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. So at the heart of biblical narrative, there is a belief that the Bible is relating truth at all times, whether dealing with the miraculous uh, history of an individual, a nation, or the world. There is a belief that God and the Holy Spirit are the true authors behind the 40 different human authors that God used to give us the 66 books of the Bible. And we must learn to study the Word of God, to have that mindset to dive into those rich truths, studying the context of a passage, helping us to better understand God's Word, and being able to memorize Scripture that it can become useful for us. My sister This week I was talking to her on the phone and I was in the middle of preparing this study and and she said, I'll let you go. I know you're busy. And I said, it's all right. I'm just taking a break, just getting ready for Sunday's message. She goes, it must be hard. I said, no, not really. After 30 years of kind of doing sermons, there's always stuff to learn, but you kind of get a groove. And 
how you know how to prepare things and it becomes easier. Actually, I think there was for me about 15, maybe 20 years ago where everything began to connect for me. Uh, the reading, the studying, the reading through the Bible for devotionally for myself, uh, studying God's word for teaching, it all kind of began to connect. It made it easier. And that would happen with you as well. Even if you're not teaching, the more you go through the word, the more you learn. People who do this discover, Hebrews 4.12, that the word is living and powerful, is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and marrow, and the discerner of thoughts and the intents of the heart. So the Bible... Today, we have electronic devices. We can listen to it. We don't even have to read it. We can just listen. And yet, it's still being neglected in our world today. People in churches, not knowing the Word of God, not gaining that understanding of the Word of God. It's so important. And another thing is other books that helps us in the learning process. Now, Peter talked about another author. He talked about Paul. He even acknowledged that Paul's writings were hard to understand. This is the apostle, not the apostle. He was the <laughs> apostle Peter, who said in 2 Peter 3, 15 and 16, and consider that the long-suffering the Lord is salvation. And also our brother, beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, all his writings, all his letters, he speaks in them of these things, which are some things hard to understand, which untaught, unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also to the rest of Scripture. So there are people out there who twist Scriptures. We've had the twisting Scriptures, uh, Jehovah's Witness mailing a letter to the church. Anybody get one recently? to their home. We got one here at the church, and then I got one at my house. And they, it's like, the one to my home, I'm, I still have it. I want to write back to the Kingdom Hall. The ad returning address is the Kingdom Hall over on Grass Lake Road. I know where it's going to go, but uh, I'll just want to take what they're saying and just give a little truth back to them. The only way I know to do this is because I've studied about these things. And for me as a young man, one of the first books that became a transforming book in my life was This Present Darkness by Frank Peretti. It was a book that helped to give me a love of reading and an understanding of spiritual warfare. And it was just, a, it was a novel. It was, you know, not necessarily, and some people would think that Frank Peretti went way out of the bounds of scripture and writing this book, but I was captivated by it, and I haven't stopped reading books ever since that time. Prior to that, I can't remember any other book than the Bible that I read, and I was in my mid-20s. I just got out of high school, and I didn't want to read, <laughs> but then there was How to Give Away Your Faith by Paul E. Little. It taught me about evangelism. There was Harvest by Pastor Chuck Smith and Tal Brooks, and it really gave me... Uh, an excitement about the work of the Spirit in the life of the church today and really was significant in my becoming a Calvary Chapel pastor. There was also Major W. Ian Thomas, uh, The Saving Life of Christ. It helped me to reinforce the work of Jesus Christ in my life. And to this day, I continue to study classics 
and new Christian authors to grow me in my faith, in God's word, and in ministry. And perhaps you're thinking, well, that's good for you. I don't like to read. Maybe you were like me when I was in my 20s. God just turned a switch on for me. But you have tablets today. You don't have to read it. You can listen to it. That's okay. I don't like to listen. Really? <laughs> I think that would not be a truth. We're always listening. So what are you putting in? You can listen through the Bible being read. Three chapters a day will get you through the Bible in a year. You can listen to other Calvary pastors. Other pastors teach. One Calvary pastor committed to reading 10 pages in a book a day. And a few years ago, myself, Pastor Tony Dupree of Sure Foundation Church, and this pastor, we were sitting together at a conference. And he figured by that time, by reading 10 pages a day, that he'd probably read 3,000 books up to that point in his life. He's probably between three and 4,000 books now, but just by 10 pages. And 10 pages is not really that difficult to do. But having a thirst for knowledge helps grow us in our faith and understanding in God's Word. The first, fourth uh, significant moment for me, definite moment in my life, came with church, WCRM, and WLGS. So I'm going to pull WLGS into this because I think this is important. The Word of God tells us in Romans 10, 17, this is the only verse I have for this section. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. I'd already mentioned from the get-go, Lily and I, we attended church. We were being exposed to the teaching of God's Word. It was coming from my dad. It was coming from Sunday school teachers, training union teachers, whatever uh, evangelists that came in uh, to the church or whoever guest speaker they had at the time, we were being exposed to the teaching of God's word. We were there serving. I've already talked about this in the first point, but I think it's important by maintaining an active fellowship in a local church. Now, there are a lot of people that I don't need to go to church now because I can listen on my device. There's a great church out in California there's a lot of great churches on the West Coast, on the East Coast, in, the co in no coast in between where we're at. But fellowship is important. Being connected to a local body of Christ, being willing to expose ourselves to the teaching of God's Word. You can study God's Word all you want. And even when I teach the Word of God, after teaching, someone would say, you know, you said something to me that made me think of this. And it's like, yeah, I didn't even think about that. We, iron sharpens iron. We expand our knowledge in the word of God. But by maintaining an active fellowship in the local church, by hearing the word of God being proclaimed, being preached, being taught, it helped Lily and I to maintain a healthy biblical worldview in this fallen world. And I continue to learn. One of those areas for me, WCRM, it was... I don't know if they call themselves 101.4. I saw it. I looked them up. WCRM came out of uh, Dundee, Illinois. They were technically uh, 103.9 FM, but in my mid-20s, they played the music I like to listen to, Christian music, with a good beat. And uh, they had five Calvary Chapel pastors. And I, I'd never listened to a Calvary pastor before. 
But Raul Reese, he had a 15-minute show, was the first one I listened to. And then I was introduced to Pastor Chuck Smith, Greg Laurie, uh, David Rosales, and Jeff Johnson. They were all teaching pastors on that radio ministry in the mid-'80s that I couldn't get enough of it. I was always listening to WCRM, listening to the Word of God, being proclaimed, and listening to the music. So our radio station, WLGS, when our church had an opportunity to have a low-power station, I knew exactly how I wanted the uh, format of that station to be. And it was influenced largely by that radio station in the mid-'80s to have music and teaching that the music would help maybe get people to listen, but the teaching would help build people in their faith. So the hearing of the word of God being proclaimed, it helps us to grow in our faith, to maintain a biblical worldview. And finally, waiting upon the Lord, waiting for and responding to the call of God. So I was in the band Contender for 10 years, from 17 to 27 years old. We had three different band names, went from Free to Morningstar to Contender. Contender, absolutely the coolest name that we had. Um, we learned that when you put Free on a poster, people come expecting something other than the free gift of Jesus Christ. Morningstar was very popular, and everybody was using that name, so uh, we went to the Bible, to the book of Jude, and found that we are to contend earnestly for our faith. And so for 10 years, I thought that that was what the Lord had for me, to be a bass player in a Christian band, to share the love of Christ with others. But toward the end of those 10 years, our band became a little fractured. We were still together, but we might argue on the way to a conference and on the or a concert and on the way back. Uh, in fact, it got so bad we couldn't even drive in the same vehicles together. We want to share with you the love of Christ. I can't stand that guy over there. <laughs> it was just, there was trouble in the camp. And uh, maybe we could have worked it out. No doubt we could have worked it out. But uh, three of us ended up on the same day leaving the band and uh, I just felt if we weren't going to stick with the original group, then I didn't want to be part of this new group that they were forming. So I kind of stepped out of it. That was what was in my heart. Had a lot to do with a, a record deal that was trying to... Um, they were being selective. We'd like to offer you a deal, but, you know, these two guys have to go. And I thought, well, this is who we are. And that's what I was thinking. If you don't like all of us, then... We don't need to sign your deal. So that was playing into it. I think the others were after the contract, which they never got. Um, but that left me. I tell you, I'm glad that I don't know what a divorce might feel like. But I think I kind of know what a divorce feels like in the sense of I was 10 years with these guys and suddenly I wasn't. And so I was kind of searching again. It had me thinking for 10 years, Lord, this is what you'd have for me. And I didn't want to step into something. I was 27 years old, and it got to a point to where I was asking the Lord, please direct me. I don't want to go down a wrong path. I felt that maybe I messed it up for 10 years. I didn't know what the Lord was doing with my life. And so I wanted to establish in a new ministry 
that which the Lord would have for me and not something that I might try to form for myself. And so I remember the time period from 27 to the age 30, I was praying to the Lord and I kind of put a a stop on the prayer saying, Lord, if you don't respond to this prayer of what the next step should be in my life, then I believe that a non-response would mean I was a brick mason running work for other contractors. By the age of 30, I said I would go into business for myself and become a good Christian businessman and feel that that would be what the Lord would have for me. I didn't rush off into something new, but I waited upon the Lord. Isaiah 40, 31 tells us, those who wait on the Lord shall be renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So sometimes when unsure of the direction in your life, it's better to stay connected with the things that you know are building up your faith. Wait for God's direction instead of going down a path that could ultimately take you further away from the Lord. So it was in 1989, a few months after my dad passed away, that on a Sunday morning, I was sitting in a Sunday school class, um, in a young adult Sunday school class. Sam Nash, I believe, was a teacher at this time. Um, also during that period, we'd had um, one of the great theologians of our day um, teaching in that particular school and that class. So I think Sam Nash was the teacher, but it could have been another one. But Somebody said something wrong, so I was going to get them. Sick them, John. You know the word of God. I don't like to sick people today unless they're maybe Jehovah's Witness, and I'll maybe straighten them out. But um, anyways, if they're a cult, that gives me different. I'll try to be kind, but I'll give them truth. Um, but I was searching my pages for something that somebody said wrong. I'm going to straighten you out. And I was thumbing through the Bible and my eyes landed on Romans 10:14, And it landed on these words that were already underlined. They had impressed me. I underlined them, but I've never had the reaction that they gave me that day. Romans 10:14. the words I landed on was, how shall they hear without a preacher? The whole verse says, How then shall they call on him whom they had not believed? How shall they believe on him of whom they had not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? When I read those, my legs went like jelly. I knew that very moment the Lord was calling me to preach his gospel. And I went forward uh, during the altar call. It was a Baptist church. During the altar call, I went forward and I said, The Lord's calling me to preach. I don't know where or how or when, but I do know the call. And I've never doubted that call. As I look back at that period, my dad was a preacher. He passed away. I believe now that the Lord was passing the torch of ministry from my dad to myself, like Elijah to Elijah. And in hindsight, I believe the Lord showed me my calling. How shall they hear without a preacher? Because he understood at the time that it would be 11 years before I landed here in this church as your pastor. And so there was a lot of road ahead. Much like if I look back at my journey, I see it like Christian, who is the lead character of John Bunyan's classic Pilgrim's Progress. He was journeying toward the celestial city. And a lot of times he would get 
distracted. He would get um, caught in the mire and the clay. Satan was trying to keep him from the ultimate goal of that city. And for me, it was as if the Lord showed me my call. It was a long distance. It was 11 years forward. But he did not let me see initially the valleys that I would go through, the clay that I would get into, the challenges that I would have, and the blessings that would come during that season. But I kept taking steps of faith toward the call of God upon my life. I've never doubted that call since that morning Seeing those words, how can they hear without a preacher? And I think it's so important. Once the Lord gives you your call, take steps in fulfilling that call. Listen to this. Abraham, from Hebrews 11, 8, it says, Abraham obeyed God when he was called to go out of the place which he would receive as an inheritance. Go to the place that he'd receive as an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. Sometimes we have to go out not knowing the final destination, but waiting upon Jesus while maintaining an active church life can help bring direction to our lives. So a lot has happened since I first gave my heart to Jesus when I was seven years old, Lily and I getting married at the age of 18, two children, five grandchildren, a great grandbaby on the way, Lily said that I need to learn humility when I'm trying to tell them that Papa the Great would be a great name. I'm Papa to my grandchildren. I guess not. But having a searching and servant's heart. So you're searching for God's call upon your life, but while you're searching, you're serving. As you're serving, God will help bring answer to those areas. Having a band of brothers and sisters, those who maybe even not from the same fellowship, but you are like-minded in faith, you're going to iron sharpened iron. You're going to build up one another. Having that band of brother can help strengthen you in ministering and evangelism. Having that thirst for the knowledge of God. And I would challenge you as like, I'm not a reader, I'm not a learner, that's just not me. Well, take it in little gulps. And as you take those small doses, I think the Lord will help you to get larger doses. A spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down, right? Just find it in ways that will help you learn and understand your faith and to grow in your faith and be willing to hear God's word being proclaimed to help you maintain that biblical world view. And finally, continue to wait upon the Lord. Have that active church life, find direction from the Lord. And I think these are things that we can all do. We live in a world that is pretty crazy. And uh, a lot of the things that we teach from the Word of God today, our world doesn't like. And the United States used to be a largely Christian nation, and it is changing rapidly. And I believe personally, this is a per I'll get on that prophecy update side of me, that for years, there have been a certain party in our um, political realm that has desired um, immigration to come, not legal immigration, but illegal immigration. For years, the problem in the United States was that most 
of those coming from Mexico and South America were Catholic. So they were coming with strong faith in God, strong morality, especially regarding family, and uh, it wasn't working for them. So now they've opened it up. I think at least 126 different countries have been recognized over the last three-plus years coming into our nation. There's 195 countries in our world. So almost all the world is showing up in the United States right now. But do you know that most of the world is not Christian? And so we are now getting a mesh of all different religions. And Christianity is going to take a back seat in our nation. But it does not need to take a back seat, nor should it in our lives. We need to learn to stand strong in our faith, to share our faith with others. People are searching. They're searching for hope. They're searching for something. They're searching for Jesus. And thank you, Lord, that you have given us your truth. And we pray, Lord, that we would grow in these things. For us, Lord, our story will be different. Defining moments of our life can be both positive or negative, but nonetheless, they can define us. Lord, I shared a little of my story today to encourage this body, and I pray, Lord, that it would be encouragement to us at the end of this year as we go into the next year. Lord, we know that people are looking for hope, and we thank you, Lord, that you have given us the answer. In your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, help us to be evangelists of this truth in this world, Lord, who is searching for truth. We pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen.